0: How many of you ever moved? How many of you moved a lot, right? Okay, we've all moved. We all know the drama that goes into moving. We know, you know, we look at stuff and we go, why did I keep this? And then after we move, we're shocked because we go, where is that? (laughs) And we can't figure out where that went because it was this then and how did I get that? And then, and we're just like confused. We have boxes literally that we haven't opened in three moves. No, they're still taped shut. It's now a goal to see how long we can go without opening those boxes. I don't have a clue what's in them. They have stickers that go back 15 years. Now, that may not make sense to you. It doesn't have to. It's my box, right? You got your own baggage to carry around. I got mine. But we're gonna talk about move, being moved, and moving. We're going to go into this series where we 're going to look at biblical characters and how God moved in their life, how God moved them, and how the spirit of God is moving in our world. I told you my wife was out of town, and so I went over to uh, to a local restaurant to order to pick up a pizza because it seemed easier than trying to cook something myself and i 'm standing there at the counter ready to pick it up and and a guy comes up to me there behind the counter, and he says, Hi, Pastor Phil, how are you doing? And I recognized him, and uh, I could tell there was something heavy on his heart. I didn't know what it was, and you know, when you, when you get around someone, you know there's something heavy on their heart, and you're not really in a place where you can just kind of stop. I mean, he's working, and, and it's busy, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a Friday night, and things are happening there. And I said, good to see you. And he said, I'll see you at church Sunday. And I went out to my car and I was just kind of praying for him, thinking about him. Got up to my car and all of a sudden he comes out of the restaurant, comes down to where my car is with tears in his eyes and says, would you pray for me? And he told me what was going on. And right there in that parking lot, we prayed. And I got his cell number and I texted him back and told him we could get together this week. And as it turned out, he couldn't make it this morning. Some things happened with work that he had to do. So I want you to know that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. It's talking about when the Spirit of God begins to stir in your heart something that you don't know what's going on. You just know he's doing something. It may be bringing to your attention some problem, some issue, some challenge, some goal, some dream, whatever it might be. But it's there, and the Spirit of God is pushing you, and you're saying, what do I do with this? It's about feeling that movement when you sense that in someone else to stop long enough, pause long enough to pray for them. I've always found it's better just to pray in that instant rather than say, yeah, I'll pray for you. Number one, you know you get it done. You don't forget The other thing, there's something about that instant healing and power of prayer in that moment that is radically different than you going home and praying for them. It's also a testimony if it happens to be in a public place that you're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you believe it is the power of God unto salvation. And when you testify publicly about the kingdom of God, it makes a difference. It radically changes the atmosphere all around you. We had a birthday dinner and there were a few friends that were gathered in a, in a public place. In fact, there was about 16 or 20 of us there. And I surprised my wife by just kind of showing up. And, and I loved that moment in the night where after everyone's kind of said hi, where, you know, the patriarch gets up of the group and not me, but someone else gets up and says, hey, let's pray. And now right in the center of this restaurant here's 20 people who are bowing their heads. It's pretty clear what we're doing. You say, well, what if you offend them? Well, what if they offend me? I don't worry about it. They're not. I'm not offended by them not praying. Same thing, isn't it? I have never seen a restaurant with rules. No praying tonight. Never seen that. Well, as we talk about how how things move in our life and how God moves, I want to bring a couple of things to your attention. When you look at the Bible, what you're going to find out is that God usually asks you to do the impossible. And that's what drives us crazy. God comes along to a guy named Adam, and he says, Adam, I'm going to put you and Eve in here. You're going to have a great time, except there's going to be a bad guy show up. And I didn't tell him that exactly. He just said, I want you to keep this garden. And the Hebrew sense there is, I want you to keep somebody out. Satan shows up, all of a sudden, Adam's got an adversary. Instead of calling on God to help him out of his problem, what did he do? He handled it on his own. In fact, he did something even worse. He didn't even get engaged. He sent Eve to talk to the serpent. He was standing there all along. Then they get thrown out of house and home, and there's the problem. Things kind of degenerate worldwide, and all of a sudden, a guy named Noah comes along, and God says, you know what, I I think I could have done better. Everybody is just as evil as they can get. I'm going to flood the world. I'm going to wipe it out. I want you to build a boat. What? He asked him to do the impossible. He asked Moses to go back, confront Pharaoh, and said, let my people go. The best workforce Pharaoh had ever had, let my people go. God asked you to do the impossible. He also asked you to do something beyond your ability. He doesn't want you to just limit what, gets, hap- what happens in your life by your ability. He wants you to push beyond that and get into his ability. Tori, you make statements like this. There's no way this is ever going to happen unless God gets involved in this situation. Unless God works a miracle, we are dead in the water. Unless God comes through. And then when God comes through, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. And you're not sitting back there going, look what I can do. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about it like this. Redefine disappointment in your life. Anybody had a disappointment in their life? I mean, maybe I should ask it this way. Anybody never had a disappointment in their life? That's going to happen to all of us, but what do you do with it is the key. If you hold it, embrace it, let it eat your lunch, it's going to do just that it's going to take you down every time. But if you redefine it and go, wait a minute, I've got a disappointment, I've got a challenge, I've got a problem in my life, this is a great opportunity to get God involved, to change my character, to modify my behavior, to bring me to a place of real power and integrity in the Spirit of God. Jim Simbola wrote a book, and in that book he is... uh, uh, one of the key leadership components in the Brooklyn Tabernacle movement in New York. And many of you have heard about that. In fact, uh, the person who installed the sound system for the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York is the same person who did the design work uh, installation for us in our new worship center. That's pretty good news, right? Right? I mean, I was up there the other night, I just plug in my iPhone into the sound system and I walk around and I'm listening to, uh, I, you know, I didn't have praise music at the top so I listened to Adele, I'm going, this, is, this sounds fantastic. And then I jumped over to a little bit of the Beatles 1964 and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of breaking it in, you know, I want to get it ready for you. And I'm thinking, look how good this sounds and how it fills this room. I don't know if we can get used to it, we're kind of used to having the one at the front and it blows our hair straight back. <laughs> so we might have to adapt and adopt a little bit of, a, you, know, you know, saner kind of approach to sound, but I think you're going to love it. But Symbolus said this as he was thinking about what God was doing in his life, and I so resonated with it, I, I wanted to share this quote with you. He said, I despaired at the thought that my life might pass me by without God moving mightily on my behalf. I think that ought to be our heartbeat. I think that ought to be the heartbeat of our church, that we would despair at the fact that God was not moving mightily or not moving mightily in our life to bring about something that we could not bring about. We want to see God move, don't we? Don't we want to see God change our world, change our family, heal our nation? I mean, we are primed for a miracle in America. Just read the headlines. We've got Washington who is clueless. And they don't care. And I watch this and I go, it doesn't feel like they care. It's just kind of like, who's right? America doesn't really, it's not looking at who's going to win on this debate of Democrat or Republican or Independent, what we really want is a nation that is intact, that has integrity and character and moving in the direction of God Almighty upon which this nation was founded. That's what we want. In the book of Genesis chapter 12, there's a story of a man by the name of Abram. You know him as Abraham. In verse 1, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, You see, God spoke then, and God still speaks today. Sometimes God speaks through his word. Sometimes he speaks through another person. Sometimes he speaks by the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes he will reveal himself in circumstances that you're living out. Sometimes he'll reveal it through some word that someone has that seems to to really fit the situation and God is giving insight into that. The Lord spoke to Abram. We want God to speak to us. I pray that right now in your heart of hearts you'll just pray a little prayer like this. God speak to me. Speak to me, God. I need need to hear from you. And here's what God says to him. He tells him to move. He says, get out of your country. He was living in what we would call today Iraq. He was living in this place called Ur of the Chaldees in the biblical times. He said, I want you to move out of there. I want you to move away from your family and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now think about that. That's really bad directions. It's really not a good move if you think about it from, a, from a, 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 just a practical sense. I'm gonna, I want you to get out of there. I'm going to show you where you're going to go as you go. Abram would, in fact, move about 400 miles in one direction. Then he would move 500 miles back, and then from that point on, he would just kind of traverse the land that God had given him. He says, I will make you a great nation. Now imagine that. If someone says, you're going to be the father of a nation, And I'm going to do it. You're not going to do it, Abram. If you try to do it, you'll fail. But I'm going to do it in you and through you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to make your name great. In fact, you're going to be remembered as a byword for the hand of God. You see, Job is remembered as a byword for suffering. But Abraham, as a man of faith. He said, I'm going to make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. In other words, it's not going to stop with you. It's not just going to stop with your nation. You're going to be a blessing. I'm going to attach something to this that's very interesting. I'm going to attach this kind of an idea. I'm going to bless those who bless you. When someone comes up to you, Abraham, or your descendants, and says, I bless you in the name of God Almighty, they are going to be blessed. When someone comes up to you and says, I curse you and I hate you, I don't like the Jewish people, then I'm going to curse them. Now, it's up to God how that all works out, but he says, in you, and this is interesting, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In other words, I'm not just going to bless the Jews. I'm not just going to bless the Palestinians. I'm not just going to bless Americans and Germans and French. I'm going to bless the entire world through your faith. Because you're going to be the father of faith, you're going to be the avenue for people to understand and connect with God. I want that in my life, don't you? Don't you want to be the avenue by which people can connect with God? Do you live out your life in such a powerful, wonderful way in the Spirit of God that people connect with God through you? Verse 4 says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Did you notice a little disobedience on the part of Abram? He says, Lot, I can only imagine the dialogue. Hey, Lot, you know, God showed up. I mean, he was talking to me. Lot's going, he's what? Yeah, he's talking to me, and, and he was telling me, you know, I need to get up and move and leave my family. Well, you can't leave me, man. We're, we're, like, close. We're tight. I'm going with you. Well, I guess that'd be okay. You come along and go, Lot, and went with him. And it says Abraham was 75. Now, this, this guy's not young. This is a big move. 400 miles on a donkey. I mean, you know, seriously. We're not talking about getting in the Lexus and going across the country. We're talking about a donkey 400 miles in hostile territory in the Middle East. Anyway, it says he was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions and all they gathered. And look at this. And the people whom they had acquired in Haran. So Abram was a rich man where he lived. Not only did he have a family, but he owned slaves. People whom he had acquired. Very common in that day. And so it says here, and so he, they departed to the land of Canaan. So it came to, uh, to the land of Canaan, and Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the Tirabeth tree in Morah. And the Canaanites were there in the land. And the Canaanites were there then in the land. And the Canaanites were there then in the land. Did I say it enough? Why is it then there? Because they came into the land after God had given the land to Adam. That all was a part of that land grant that God had given to Adam and then would be re-given to Abraham. The Canaanites are there. They're the worst, most brutal enemies that they would ever face. They're in the land, and God says, I want you to go in the land. I want you to face the worst enemies of your life. God loves that kind of stuff. We don't like enemies, Right? We don't like conflict. We want to avoid all that stuff. And God says, here's what I want to do. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to thrust you into a place that's tied to promises, but in those promises, I'm going to have conflict because conflict is good for you. And when you face enemies and when you face giants, you find out what's really in you. Your character develops, your faith increases, and you are thrust forward. You advance in, in, in a forward motion in ways that you never would. And so it says here, the Canaanites were in the land then. Then the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, he he didn't appear to him again until he got in the land, until he got obedient to God. Now the Lord appears to him. And here's the thing, God doesn't reveal himself until you take a step in the right direction. We sit around and say, God, I just want you to speak to me and bless me and take care of all. No, no, God wants you to engage You've heard me quote many times Joan of Arc. I love this quote. I mean, here's this 13, 14-year-old little girl who leads the entire armies of France. She made this statement. She says, act and God will act. Step out, see what God will do. I was filling out a loan application for this new loan. I was finishing up about 2 a.m. and I just started laughing. I thought, this is hilarious. We got our first one by a miracle and here we are gonna drop about Two and a half points off this loan, we're going to save about10,000 dollars a month. The post office is paying a third of our mortgage, and they send us customers all day long. They come up and knock in trying to figure out where the post office is. We come in and get tell them about Jesus. "I love God. And I'm filling out and say, well, let's just fill this one out and there's no prepay penalty and as long as we can negotiate points and it doesn't kill us in the long haul, we we may refinance again in in another year. I don't plan on it, but we're going to be good stewards of what God has given us because we believe that we can propel ministry better when we're good stewards of all that God has given us. And look what it says here. The Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, your descendants, to your descendants, I'm going to give this land. In other words, everybody that comes out of you, Abraham, this is their land. Now, God said that 5,000 years ago, right? And so he says here, and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. Bethel means the house of God you ever seen in Hebrew, you'll see words like El Shaddai. El means God and God Almighty. This is the house of God. Beth is the Hebrew word for house. This is the house of God. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on his west and Ai on his east. Remember Ai? That little place that would come up on the the radar when Joshua went into the land and first Jericho, then Ai, they were soundly defeated on his east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Have you built an altar lately? I need an altar before you, God. I have this little place I call my altar. It's this leather chair I have, and it's got a little footstool, and I get this blanket, and I pull it over my head, and it's like, a, it's like my prayer closet, and, and I pray there, and it's my altar before the Lord. And it says he called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still further south. Let me show you this idea. Blessings will always follow obedience. I like to put things in the reverse. If I'm not obedient, then blessings don't follow. I don't have any right to expect God to do something if I'm not walking in obedience before God. Jesus said it like this If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Pretty clear. You see, I, sometimes we pray. Have you ever prayed and said, I prayed and nothing happened? You ever said that? I mean, I have people tell me that, "I tried that and it didn't work." I mean, it's like, you know, testing a new product. Tried it out, didn't work. Tried got the new blender, wouldn't chop ice. You know, I took it back. Went over there, connected with God, did a little prayer work with God, threw in my 5 minutes, read one scripture, and God did nothing. Okay? I'm going to tell you this. Even that little prayer you did was not wasted. Here's the thing. Your faith is never wasted. Faith is stored up, used appropriately by God at the right time and in your life. Just because you don't see instant uh, success in your prayer doesn't mean that your faith is wasted. Look at what it says in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord As his divine power, now watch this, as his divine power has given to us a few things, what's it say? All things, all things that pertain to life. His promises pertain to every part of your life, whether it's physical, financial, emotional, or spiritual. He has given you all things that pertain to life and to godliness, don't miss that, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which we have been given given never earned been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that's what god does on your behalf that's how special you are that's how much he loves you his promises follow your obedience so remember that his promises follow your obedience second corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20 for all the promises of God in him are yes. God, are you good on this promise? God says, yes. What about that one? Yes, I am. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. You see, God is working through us for his glory. Also, see this big, this other big idea, and I want to tell you the story behind this. The place of the battle is the place of the victory. You can't get victory over here and have a battle over there. You've got to have victory where the battle is going on. There's about 10 guys who were all standing around in the worship center this week trying to figure stuff out. Now, ladies, where were you? We needed... I'm serious. And here's John Ketchum, you know, one of our worship pastors, and he's got little Oliver, and he's holding Oliver. And I'm looking around, and I'm looking at all these guys, and Oliver is the only calm male in the entire room and I thought if you could only talk you could figure this out Oliver look at me and he just smiles and looks at me no no no. you are the key talk in the name of Jesus talk he just laughed smiled And it was all revolving around this platform and how lights are going to work and how sound is going to work and what it's going to look like and how it's going to function and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, why is this so difficult? And then it hit me. That's the place of the battle. That platform is where the Word of God is preached and where worship is given. That is the place. It changed my entire perspective. Now, every time I go over there, I walk over to that stage, I put my hand on it, and I pray over it, and I say, this is the place of the victory. What is the stage in your life? What is the place of the battle in your life that you're looking around just trying to figure it out? You can't make make sense of it. It is the place of your battle, but it is the place of your victory. It's where God wants to come through in your life. In verse 6, we read about the Canaanites. God sent them into enemy territory, and enemies, what they do is they strengthen our faith. We have enemies, they strengthen us. You see, your battles are fought over your future, not your present or your past. See, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to destroy your future. Past is already done. Now, you can feel guilty about your past. You can have consequences from your past. But the enemy's really concerned about your future because if you ever embrace forgiveness and grace in your life, your future is secure. If you ever just access the power of God in your life, your future is secure. You can't do anything about the past. You can't do anything about anybody else's past except blame them, criticize them, get mad about it, get frustrated with yourself. Does you no good. If the enemy can keep you there, he will keep you there. You have to know that the real battle is about your future. And that's what he's trying to do. New enemies will come in your life. And you know what they do? They will signal. Now watch, listen to this carefully. They will signal a new level of victory that God wants you to have. When a new enemy comes into your life, whatever it is, it can be physical, emotional, financial, it doesn't matter. But they're signaling, you know what? This is an opportunity to go to a new level in my life. This is an opportunity to to rise up and see what God can do. Like one guy said, you know, you go new levels, new devils. Right? Because we kind of get to a place where we go, you know, everything is just perfect. Everything is kind of functioning. You know, if we could just keep it like this, keeping it like that doesn't change your faith, doesn't change your character, doesn't lift you up to new levels of leadership. See, it's all about being conformed to the image of the living God. It's all about God shaping his church for her queenly role of ruling and reigning with him throughout all eternity. He has to take us down through those roads and down through those valleys to get us to that place. Think about Psalm 23. I think it's the most confusing psalm in the world. And we always use it, we quote it, how beautiful it is. If you, is it really beautiful? I mean, think about what he says. Here's what God says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. My first thought is, God, why do you want to go down through that way? I don't want to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's great. I'm glad you're feeling comforted because I'm scared to death. Right? I mean, really stop and think about it. I go through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We get through the valley of the shadow of death. We're thinking, you know, kind of, have you ever had one of those, boy, I'm glad to get that over with. And then it says, he prepares a table before me. Oh, now we're talking. He anoints my head with oil. He fills my cup up. Now we're talking. And then he has to throw me another loop in the presence of my enemies. Why do you want to have a banquet with my enemies surrounding me? Why are you oiling my head, giving me a new fresh cup of wine? What is going on here, God? He's trying to teach us something. Then he says, and goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. In other words, if I don't go through the valley of the shadow of death, if I don't accept his comfort, his rod, and his staff, if I don't go to the table and enjoy that, then I'm not going to understand grace and mercy throughout my life. I'm going to live my life the opposite of grace and mercy. No grace is legalism. No mercy is judgment. My life is going to be lived with judgment. With legalism. And I'm not going to understand God. I've got to go through the valley of the shadow of death to experience grace and mercy in my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9 says this. For a great and effective door has opened to me. I like that. It's what Paul said. Look what's happened here. And then what does he add? And there are many adversaries. Oh, thanks for the open door. You ever prayed for an open door? Sure you have. God, just open a door. You better ask what's behind it. There might be something bad behind that door. When I was a kid, I can remember, man, I had, we had these trees that, that were out there. I don't know what kind of trees they were, but they would lose all their leaves in the winter. And then and then they looked like, the when the moon was out, it looked like snakes on my floor. And they were on my door, that closet door, and, I, and they would rattle. They'd kind of rub up against it. And I'm scared to death. I mean, I didn't go to the bathroom at night for like five years because I knew if I got out of that bed, man, those snakes, whatever's gonna get me and that door and I'd hear them and you know how noises, you know, they're a little confusing and you hear those rattling, you go, I don't think that was outside. It was in that closet. And I would tell my mom, well, just go open the door and you'll see there's nothing in there. I said, I'm not opening that door. Whatever's in there, leave it alone, right? Leave it alone. When you pray for an open door, you're not just praying for smooth sailing, you're praying for an opportunity for the the power of God to become powerful and resident in your life. You're praying for challenges, you're praying for difficulty, you're praying for something that only God can do in you. Then there's grief. See, God sent Abraham down a road of grief too, didn't he? He said, leave your family, leave your home, leave everything you've got. It was grief. There's grieving going on here in Abraham's life. But grief is holy ground for miracles. We've all suffered grief. Whether it's a loss of a loved one, loss of a job, grief. But it is the ground for miracles in your life. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 says this, Beloved, do not think it strange. You see, I think the Holy Spirit led Peter to write that because we would think it strange when we encounter various trials. Which is to try you. Trials try you. When I was in uh, New Orleans, I taught at a uh, seminary, uh, and it was uh, a seminary that was founded in the 20s. It was about six, 800 students in this uh, uh, seminary, and I was the only Caucasian in the entire seminary. It was totally, completely African American. I had more fun than you could ever imagine. They got to call me all kinds of cool names that I won't <laughs> repeat publicly. We had a kick, right? And one of the classes I had was preaching, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach a black man how to preach. Are you kidding me? Those guys pray better than I preach. So this guy gets up and he says, today I'm going to talk about tribulation. I'm thinking, this is going to be good. And he said this, I have never forgotten it. He says, when God sends tribulation, he expects his people to tribulate. <laughs> and that's it. I'm going, that's it. If God's taking you down the road of tribulation, he expects you to tribulate. <laughs> why would he send tribulation if there's no tribulating? <laughs> kind of makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is why? There to kill you? No. No. There to make you mad? No, it's there to try you. It's that word that's used of taking gold, putting it, refining it, getting the dross off of it so that as that gold rises to the top, you look in it and you see your reflection. It is a, it is a purity of life that God is after. He says, don't think about it like it's some strange thing that's happening to you. It's not at all. What God wants you to do in times of tribulation, in times of difficulty, is he wants you to store up your faith. Because it's not the last tribulation you're going to find. It's not the last difficulty you're going to experience. As I was working on this sermon, I, I thought so much, honestly, of the early days of this church. You know, old school influence. I mean, you know, it, I've, we've had... A lot of experiences in 20 months i mean we talk about moving we're in our fourth location in 20 months i think about that one that's some moving then think about just the moving getting this thing set up every week right these guys that set up this stuff and, and gals that set up this stuff they're going to be bored out of their mind in that new building so we're just going to take everything down put it back up every week we want to keep them keep them tight, keep them strong, keep them focused. Don't want a bunch of lazy media team people there. But, I, you know, so many times, I, and I, every time I drive down, uh, you know, Weir Canyon and I turn on Santa Ana, you know, and I, I think about going down to, you know, El Rancho and then I think about coming down here. Every time I do that on Sunday, all I think about is how many times I drove and my whole mindset was, will we make it another week? It was survival. I mean, my goal literally there for a few weeks was just somebody will show up next week. Will anyone show up? And I tell my wife, she says, you have no faith. Don't talk like that. I said, well, I'm still going to think it, even if you won't (laughs) let me say it. But I did, and I thought about survival more than I thought about success. Many times, I mean, I was in a wrestling match, and when I, when I wrote this down, I thought, this is it. If your plans are to survive versus win, you're already defeated. If your plans are to survive, rather than succeed, rather than win, you're already defeated. And what God was doing in me, God was having to adjust me. You see, it wasn't just about starting a church, it was about me. How God's going to work in my life to make me better, to make me a greater man of faith. Because he knew we were going to need some more faith. And he's doing the same thing in you. I love that little book of Joshua. It begins with a battle, and it's just kind of like it's always going on, you know. Even the last chapter, you know, it's a battle. They're going to get ready to cross over, you know, everything looks really good, You know, and Joshua has to say to him in the last chapter, he says, you know, why do you falter between two opinions? Why are you double-minded, in other words? If the Lord be God, then follow him. If not, then follow the gods of the Amorites in whose land we've passed. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's a battle from start to finish. But my favorite chapter is probably chapter 14. Because here's Caleb. And Caleb is this guy, I mean, talk about, this guy is the real deal. He is a warrior heart. If you want to get a warrior heart, man, you look at Caleb. Here's what it says in Joshua chapter 14 and verse 12. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. He said, he at that point is 85 years old. And he's saying in that moment to Joshua, you know, it may be the Lord will be with me, and I will be able to drive them out. And then that very next little phrase, it talks about the Anakim. You know who the Anakim were? They were the giants. They were the Goliaths. They were these big dudes that, that wandered the land that David had to kill. That wasn't the last of them. He had four brothers, and they all had children. And he says, and, and it just kind of side note, and the Anakim were there. And here's this 85-year-old guy going, you know what? I am ready for battle. I'm not quitting. I'm not coming up with an excuse because I'm 85. I'm going to drive him out. I'm going to work. I'm going to beat it down. I'm going for it. I appreciate that. Caleb, we ought to be a Caleb. When God appears, let me give you this thought. When God appears, everything changes. You ever notice that? And God's always there, right? We call that omnipresence. That means that God is present everywhere all the time. If he's here, he's there. He's here, he's there. He's everywhere. But when I talk about this, when you have an awareness of God showing up, have you ever noticed how everything changes? You go, I feel like God is really working in my behalf right now. Everything changes. It happens in in chapter uh, uh, 12 there in verse seven of Genesis where it says, then the Lord appeared to Abram. When? You ask the question, then? When? Why there? After he passed through the land, the Lord appeared to Abram. He had to walk by faith, not by sight. You try to walk by sight, you are dead in the water. Because the sight is going to mess you up every time. Activate your faith with action. Activate your faith. Say, I'm afraid. So what? What? Who cares? When you face your fears, they get smaller. When you run from them, they get bigger. The road to greater things is not neat or without setbacks or difficulty. If you're going to succeed in anything in life, it's going to be messy. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. And that's what makes it rewarding. That's why you feel so good when you're done. You go, wow, boy, I'm glad that's over with. Look what I did and look what God did and look how it all worked out. And pause long enough, pause long enough to see the answer. See what God's doing. I like going up to the new worship center when nobody's there. I like going up there when people are there, but I like going up there when nobody's there. Don't get me wrong. I like going up there and I walk in there and I just say, I just want to pause long enough, God, and let you speak to me. Because sometimes I forget I'm so busy in the battle, I forget what you've done. And I don't want to take anything for granted in my life. I want to just pause long enough to look at what you have done. Can I ask you, would you just pause for a moment right now and look at what God has done in your life, not what he hasn't done, what has he done in your life? You've got giants, you've got enemies in your life, we know that. They're different for every one of us. I almost think that the giants we face are custom designed by God to get us to the, the quickest route to faith. Custom designed by God to have you get to the fastest point of faith you possibly can. Because what is a giant to you seems minor to me. My giants may seem minor to you, but we're all different. But God, God has got it all figured out. And we trust him in that. We trust him in that. There's a song we sing. It's called This is Amazing Grace. It goes like this. That's the band to start moving into place right now. But let me just read some of these words to you. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? Here's the answer The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory. The King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is what we would call unfailing love. God, that you would take my place, that you would bear the cross. That you would lay down your life. That I would be set free. So Jesus, I sing for all you've done. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory.